Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie You're very welcome along to The Late Lunch here on LMFM. I'm Alison O'Reilly and I'm going to be here with you until half past three on this sunny Friday afternoon. Actually, it's not scorching today. It's got a nice hazy feel to it, so we're not burning, hopefully. But the temperatures are still very high. Now, uh, as always, you can get in touch with LMFM. You can email us at info at lmfm.ie or you can text me on 086-1800-658. Now, coming up on the show today, we're going to be speaking to Marcus Fox, who is he? Well, he is the Irish Emmy Award winning producer and he worked on the hit reality show The Osbournes as well as the Anna Nicole show. And uh, we'll also hear about the rehabilitation of Kiwi the Duck and his €1,200 wheelchair. Yep, you heard that right. A €1,200 wheelchair. The first stone barn has been found during an excavation in a medieval monk settlement in Bobek. I always love them stories. They were making sourdough, I believe. So we'll be speaking about that later on. We're also going to be looking at how holistic therapy fits into being a parent. And we'll be talking to some bedroom recording mead rockers from the band Noah, who are preparing for their first live gig. But first of all, uh, Louise, do you remember the Osbournes? Do you remember Sharon, Ozzy, Jack, Kelly? I do. Oh, yeah, it, plastic bunch, weren't they? Yeah. And I often mm. wondered why they did it. They didn't need the money. They didn't need the fame. They were. Uh, they like being out there, though, don't they? They do. They, do. they like the attention. Yes, yes. Well, let's hear from Marcus Fox, who we spoke to earlier in LA. Um, he was one of the producers on that show. And all the way from LA, joining us on The Late Lunch is producer and director Marcus Fox. How are you? Doing great, Alison. How about you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks a million for joining us. I suppose many of our listeners would want to know, how does a lad like you from Dublin end up on one of the biggest TV shows all across the American networks? I'll try to shorten the story, but it was... uh I was working on a couple of different smaller shows for MTV and they had a very popular show. One of the episodes featured uh, Ozzy and the Osborne family where he gave them a hilarious tour of his house. And the network executives at MTV said, we should really find uh, a way to do another show with Ozzy. Um, But we've no idea what it is because he's refusing to read a script he doesn't want to come into the studio. 
he doesn't really want to cooperate, so we have to go to him and figure out something. And they visited the house, and they were like, gosh, they're hilarious, funny people, but um, they didn't quite fully understand everything Ozzy was saying because of his thick Birmingham accent, his Brummie. Um, so I was working for them, and so was my partner, JT, who's also Irish. And uh, <clears throat> they said, you know, get Marcus and JT. I bet they'll be able to understand uh, what's going on in this house. So we were invited over for tea, and we sat in the kitchen with Ozzy and Sharon, and Jack and Kelly were buzzing around as teenagers, and there was, I don't know how many, half a dozen little dogs barking, and celebrities coming and going like nobody's business. And uh, after a half hour of chatting, um, they said, what kind of show can we do with Ozzy and, and the Osborne family? And we said, you know, I think you just have to put cameras all over this house because it's absolutely hilarious what's going on here, the ins and outs uh, of daily life. So we said, yeah, we'll try that. So we got a bunch of camera crew in and we recorded for a few days and we put it together and the pilot um, was hilarious. People were falling off their chairs in the edit. So that was sort of the genesis of the show. Um, we got started right away and uh, it was really a lot of fun and uh, surprisingly a huge hit uh, which went all over the world. So we were very lucky and and blessed to be involved. And going in there that first time, you said you were going to the Osbournes for tea. I mean, was that, I know you're in LA and you see celebrities all the time, but was that very surreal going in there? It was extremely surreal, yeah. I mean, the idea of it and driving up through the hills, uh, Beverly Hills, um, was quite surreal um, and, and exciting. But it was hilarious. It was funny because after sitting down with Sharon and Ozzy for five minutes, uh, it, you kind of felt like you were in your granny's. You know, Sharon has this amazing ability to make everybody feel welcome and warm. And Ozzy is hilarious, very open, uh, an open book, as you could see back in the show. And he also ha they both have a huge penchant for Irish people in general. So they made us feel very welcome uh, right away. They, uh, you know, put down their guard. I don't know that they ever have really a guard, but they they certainly uh, were open to any questions we had. And the more questions we were asking, the answer was just yes, uh, where it got to the point that we would often shoot with Ozzy in his ensuite bathroom, which was a place he loved to sit and sing and sketch Um and be photographed. So we went for it. I mean, it's it, it, it really is incredible stuff. I mean, did he answer the door to you? Did she answer? I mean, <laughs> hello? Ozzy. Ozzy answered. Yeah. And he said, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that. But that was Ozzy. And uh, we're like, oh, we have an appointment. And Sharon's like, Ozzy, get out of the way. <laughs> hello, Mark. And, um, from there on out, you sit on the couch and you, you literally feel like you're visiting with family because they're really open and honest and it kind of makes you the same and it did not feel like we were in Beverly Hills. It felt like we were in a, a cottage somewhere in England. And they're probably just delighted to meet, as you said, people from Ireland and just to sit down and have a normal chat rather than, you know, having to put on some sort of a show. But they, but you said they don't put on a show. They really don't. They treat most, uh, as far as I could tell, everyone, they treat them all equally. 
um, which is really nice. But not everyone understands them uh, immediately. You know, thick accents and uh, Shara's very fast speaking and then Ozzy's very slow speaking. So um, people are literally trying to translate sometimes and there's slang and there's cussing and all sorts going on. Whereas for JT and I, it felt pretty natural, um, you know, and we got into the same rhythm and uh, it became a close friendship that went on for years and years. And, you know, when you were putting that initial showreel together to to get a flavour of what this could be like, were you in any way fearful that you hadn't captured really what was going on there and that maybe the, the people who were overseeing this mightn't get it? Or did you capture exactly what you wanted to capture? I'd say we caught a lot more than we expected to capture, to be honest. When we were approaching there, we were like, Gosh, I don't know why this would be so interesting. After a few minutes with the family, we were like, okay, I get it. These guys have no filters. It's warts and all. And they really don't care uh, what people think. And that's the best type of uh, personality you can have in a non-scripted or a documentary slash reality type program. And it's been tried many, many times since. And it doesn't it usually doesn't work. There are, you know, several celebrity reality shows that have worked. For everyone that does, you know, 10 have failed because most people um, have private lives and they censor themselves and they don't want to air all their dirty laundry. But this family was so unique that they really couldn't give a you-know-what. And and that really comes across um, because I think a lot of people who were watching it were, were, were saying, is this real? I mean, are they putting on a show? Is this fake? Is this a performance? But it wasn't. It was not. And um, yes, an awful lot of detractors and naysayers accused the show of being scripted or forced or taking advantage. And sure, you can uh, take that stance, but there's there's no way you would get anybody, any family to memorize a script and have them time their ins and outs all day long. Uh, things have come a long way, though. That was, you know, several years ago. Uh, a family like the Kardashians, for example, they are uh, fairly produced, as we say here. They know exactly what works for their viewers, for their network. And um, they're very good at delivering on that uh, style. But there's there was nothing implemented or uh, exaggerated about the Osborne family. Well, we're speaking to Marcus Fox, producer of the Osborns here on The Late Lunch. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Welcome back to The Late Lunch. Before the break, we were speaking to Marcus Fox, the Irish award-winning producer who played a key role in the hit show The Osborns with Ozzy and Sharon. So let's go back to him. And I suppose with the with the two shows that you mentioned, the Kardashians there and then the Osbournes, I mean, talk about chalk and cheese. Um, the Kardashians, is, as you said, very produced, but also, you know, their motive is fame, money, lots of clothing lines, makeup lines, all of that commercial business. They've made millions, if not billions from from their whole reality show and the Kardashians. What was in it for the Osbournes, though? Uh, good question. Uh, and you're right. Kardashians would be in the bees in terms of their endorsement and ongoing. Um, you know, they, they really turned <laughs> turned it into a business uh, and, and good for them. Um, 
the motivation for the family, I you would have to ask them. I know um, for Sharon, she's a, a very savvy businesswoman. She's a music manager. Uh, that's where her career started. She took over her father's business. Um, so it probably wouldn't have hurt uh, Ozzy's music sales and Black Sabbath sales. And for me, when I watched it, I was constantly trying to think, why are they doing this? Why are they showing the world the madness? Um, because I know people came away from watching that show going, Jesus, my family's not too bad, you know, in comparison to the madness that's going on there. Um, but they were so loved. It, they were so liked after it as well. It could have went terribly wrong for them. That's true. It could have, um, but it didn't. It was a massive success. And you're right. Uh, a lot of the success of reality television, which I'd say they helped spawn that type of genre, it comes from people like you, me, and, and others listening, where sometimes you just want to sit down and watch something that's easy to watch and relatable. So the the recently it was talked about that the Osbournes was going to be revived. It was going to be screened again. It was going to be filmed again. Um, what's the latest, or do you know? I honestly don't know where it's at. I have heard uh, all the rumours too that it was being revived. Um, it's uh, been talked about for years. In my uh, opinion, um, now that maybe Sharon has a little bit more time. Maybe that could happen. Um, but I honestly don't know. Uh, you know, I'm often, uh, I don't get to hear about these things until they're actually in the works. Uh, but fingers crossed, because uh, there's a lot of people wondering where they are now. I was looking back there over your career. What was Anna Nicole like? Because she's another character that was pretty extraordinary. I mean, she had a terribly tragic life and a terribly tragic end. But how did you come to meet her? The President of E had created a show called True Hollywood Story. And it's a show, I'm sure you're familiar, that features a different celebrity. Um, and it was very, very popular. And I think they just revived it um, on E. And the Anna Nicole show was one of the most popular shows. So the President of the Network, my friend Jeff Shore, said, uh, I need to find Anna Nicole and do a show with her, but I don't know what to do. The Osbournes premiered. Uh, on MTV and the E! executives said oh, Eureka, we'll just get the producers who did that and have them do whatever they did with the Osbournes over at Anna's house. She had a terrible end to her life and it was terribly tragic and she lost her son and she'd only just had a new baby. I mean do you often think about that? Did you ever stay in touch with her family? I try not to stay in the personal lives of the celebrities I've worked with um, just because I'm not in their world. You know, I'm just regular Marcus. Fair <laughs> but enough. It was a, a tragic demise and I felt so horrible um, for her and when, when Daniel passed and I feared the worst could happen. Um I know as a parent, and anyone else listening as a parent would know, that um, to lose a child is the worst thing, excuse me, <clears throat> that could ever happen to anyone. So uh, when Anna passed shortly after her son, um, I wasn't that surprised, you know, and uh, I'm still uh, very sad about it. 
Yeah, I, I remember reading that and just thinking she won't survive that. There's no way she'll survive that. It was just so devastating for her. And she was, she, she just fell to pieces after it. It was very, very sad. And and you yourself, Marcus, how's life in LA and the film industry? What are you up to? I'm uh, talking to you on set. Um, I'm in uh, the desert in Simi Valley. Oh, wow. Where we are <laughs> in um, mid-production of uh, a show called Legends of the Hidden Temple, which is a reboot, so many reboots these days, of a kids, Nickelodeon kids show from the 90s. Uh, but now we're doing it for adults. So everything's uh, bigger and badder. It's, um, it's an adventure competition series uh, where uh, competitors get to compete against each other in various physical and mental uh, activities and they go on this adventure a bit like Indiana Jones style um, or its original inspiration was a, a video game as well called Legends of Zelda. It's a pity now that you're not down here at the Cooley Mountains and to do a whole revival of the uh, the story of the brown bull of Cooley. <laughs> it was on the list we often say here is uh, season two. There you go, season two. We might we might see you stuck in the Cooley Mountains at the Long Woman's Grave. Uh, I hope so, I hope so. <laughs> especially around this time of year. And coming home, are, is there plans to come home, or are you there for the foreseeable future? What's what's the plan, or is there a plan? You know, my wife and I talk about it uh, often. It's something uh, I dream of. I'd love to. Uh, it's not as simple as jumping on a plane, of course. Three kids in school. But uh, the goal is to slowly uh, make that transition as, uh, as time goes on. Um, she, my wife's from uh, New York, but she loves Ireland. She's been probably a dozen times. The kids love going home, seeing all their cousins. So uh, please, God, uh, in the not-too-distant future, we'll uh, try and make a more permanent and would the, would the work be here, Marcus? Would you be winning Emmys over here? I mean, is is the industry here for you for something as big as you want to do? I mean, you've been linked to massive shows. Would you be satisfied with the same level of work here, the same sort of projects? Uh, obviously, there's not. It's not as big of an industry, um, but yes, there there is. You know, it would be different. Um, but I am uh, working towards that. I'm actually. Uh, working on a project right now with uh, one of Ireland's premier uh, production companies called Shinna Will. And um, we're doing a documentary, uh, which would hopefully turn into a series. It's partially funded um, by Irish Screen. And it's about uh, Emer Noon, who is a homegrown uh, hero, um, one of uh, the world's premier uh, conductors, uh, from Galway and uh, we hope to get that up and running soon so if I could get a few more of these going um, I would get to come home a lot more so fingers crossed Listen, anything can happen when you put your mind to it that's right. Well, we look forward to seeing you back here on Irish soil, making some fantastic productions here. Marcus Fox, all the way from L.A., thank you so much for joining us on The Late Lunch here on LMFM. My pleasure, Alison. Thanks for having me. Have a great one. You too. Now we're heading into news and sport, but still to come, Kiwi the Duck's expensive wheelchair. 
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Yeah, welcome back to The Late Lunch. We're going to hear from an animal sanctuary in New York who spent €1,200 on a wheelchair for a duck after she was attacked by a dog. Hervey Boy, you're very welcome along to The Late Lunch here on LMFM and it is great to talk to you. Thank you. It's great talking to you as well. Tell me about Kiwi because this is a beautiful, beautiful little duck who made international headlines. Yes, yeah. So Kiwi, <laughs> Kiwi. a lot of stories have been done about Kiwi, that uh, that little duck. But she's not that little because she's actually a jumbo picking duck, the type of duck that are used um, for meat. But Kiwi wasn't, um, wasn't supposed to be used for meat. As a matter of fact, she was used for a hatching project in uh, New York City. Um, hatching projects is when um, teachers decide to take eggs in. So it could be eggs from ducks or eggs from chickens. And then they put them in in uh, uh, incubator for the kids to learn and to see how life comes to be. And, um, and there are a lot of issues with that. Um, first of all, often there are a lot of deformities uh, because the heat is not... Um, uh, doesn't go on the on the egg uh, everywhere it should be going, and so when they are born, they have health issues, splayed legs, for instance. So sometimes they just go and release them in parks, uh, like uh, Central Park in New York City or Prospect Park in Brooklyn. So that those things happen. That sounds very barbaric. Well, it is. They are really not adapted to to live outside. Um, and a lot of the ducks will die very quickly, as a matter of fact. Chickens can make it a little longer. But um, in the case of Kiwi, some parents decided to take two of the ducks. So Kiwi was born in January of 2020, so that you know. Um, and um, so the parents took her home a few months later, but she got attacked by a predator with her companion. And so the other duck got killed and Kiwi got injured. Um, they, they decided to keep taking care of Kiwi, which, uh, which is great, but they really realized that taking a, an injured duck who cannot walk is not easy. Um, and so finally in September of uh, 2020, they decided to uh, reach out to us to see if we would... Um, take her in because we, that's what we do. We take, um, uh, at Woodstock Sanctuary, we take animals who were, well, injured, uh, abused, neglected, escaped from a slaughterhouse. And when we take the injured one, we, well, we have the staff to take care of them, but also as a not-for-profit organization um, with, uh, with many donors uh, who believe in the same mission, we have the farms to take care of those animals because it is not cheap. About a week after we took her, we ordered Kiwi's first wheelchair. And that wheelchair actually was not um, designed. And I will just give a little anecdote about this. <laughs> um, when I booked the hotel for our caregiver, I booked a hotel with a um, bathtub. So <laughs> the Kiwi the duck could spend time in the bathtub. Um, <laughs> That's fantastic. Them, yeah, it was. And the hotel, I mean, they, you know, it's a hotel that allows 
pets. And I said, well, our pet is not a dog or a cat, but it's a duck. Is that okay? And she was like, but it's a pet, right? And I was like, yeah, we're not going to eat that duck. She's mm. a pet. And she was like, well, that, there's no rule against that. And I explained to her that she was actually uh, paralyzed and that she she was she um she was coming to get a wheelchair made and and they were then she said well she, at least she called back later and she said well all very anxious to meet kiwi <laughs> <laughs> i bet i bet we're all anxious to meet kiwi as well <laughs> yes the duck in the wheelchair i know and that wheelchair really made a huge difference in her life so it came um with kind of um Monster truck wheels, like if you, if you, um, if you, you know, if you have like an RC car, um, like truck, they have those big wheels. And that was a little too hard for her to push. So we just changed the wheel. That was really the only thing we had to change. And we ordered some, um, some thin wheels that are used on scooters. Um, and then she, you now she's really happy and she can, so she can move her back legs. It's, they're not supposed to just be living on land. No, I mean, they're, 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 they love the water. I mean, the, the work that you do in the Woodstock Sanctuary, which is a, a non-profit organisation in New York, it's not unique over there. But I mean, we've never heard anything like this. Yes, um, actually, we've never heard anything like this either when it comes to ducks. So we had to come up with our own solutions, which, I mean, we do a, we do a lot when it comes to farmed animals. We mm. have to think outside of the box. Um, and I had never heard of really anything uh, like a, a wheelchair design specifically for a duck. I've seen ducks in wheelchair, but not, not one, just like the first one we had ordered made for dogs and cats. But I don't think those work very well. So this is the first time. And... Also, we're putting a lot of effort in, in Kiwi's uh, well-being. Beside her being, beside the water therapy she gets, we also move her leg in every direction. We want to make sure that the joints, you know, are not going to get stiff and get lubricated enough. So she gets like full range of motion, physical therapy um, every day. Um, and she gets very spoiled also with the type of food she gets. She, she loves grapes. She <laughs> loves berries. <laughs> Did she get stressed at all when you were getting her used to this wheelchair? Because she's had a very difficult start. Then she's attacked and now she needs a wheelchair. And her life is being adjusted dramatically. Um, how did she react to the wheelchair? Now, that's a good question. So I would just, she wasn't stressed. I, I would say the only moment in her life that since she's been at the same cherry where we felt she was stressed is when she was in the car uh, going to Virginia to be fitted for the wheelchair. Um, and then she had the, she, yeah, the, the second day she got to try the wheelchair to be, and the, the adjustments were made. She was already with footage where she's just so happy. She's just so happy to be finally independent. Uh, well, mostly independent. She can you know, move. She can push her legs and the chair is moving forward. So she can't really turn in the chair. We need to move the chair for her when she needs to turn, but she can just go straight and she loved it. And she's been loving it since then. And at least she gets really frustrated when she's not in her wheelchair. <laughs> she will she will bite you. <laughs> so she's a little character, big personality. 
Uh, she has a big personality because she will let you know that she wants to be in a wheelchair and and, um, <laughs> and she, she bites your hand until you put her in there. <laughs> I love this dog. <laughs> I know she's she's very cute and and um, she when she's taking her bath also she's really funny so. You know, she goes underwater sometimes, but she they're very clean. So she preens herself, and sometimes she just, she does uh, does a 180, and she finds herself, like, she's swimming on her back. <laughs> and she's trying to, and <laughs> usually ducks don't do that, but she's adapting to yeah. the fact that her legs are not moving the way they should be, and that's the way for her then to be able to clean her own belly. So she just swims on her back, and it's really, it's funny. Obviously, it's funny to witness to the ocean. Mm -hmm. It's an extraordinary story because, as you say, you're always going to have people who will say, why bother? That's a lot of money. And also, and this is probably going to be a very unpopular thing to say, having heard this beautiful story, but a lot of places would have just put her down. Yes. No, absolutely. I mean, it requires a lot of time. Um, and a lot of commitment from the team and, and a lot of money. What a brilliant story. Hervé Boy from the Woodstock Sanctuary in New York. Thanks so much for joining us. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Welcome back to The Late Lunch here on LMFM with myself, Alison O'Reilly. You can email the show info at lmfm.ie or text me on 0861800658. Just before the break there, we were speaking to Hervé Boy, who is one of the veterinary experts at the Woodstock Sanctuary in New York, who is looking after Kiwi the Duck. Now, they do specialist care for rehabilitation and they don't believe in putting animals down and they do their absolute best as you heard uh, when you get a 1200 euro wheelchair for a duck uh, they do everything to save the animal's life they're extremely dedicated extremely talented but also they're offering their their services and their expertise to sanctuaries all around the world so Kiwi is particularly special we've a text in here what a lovely good news story for a Friday what great work that organisation does Kiwi sounds like a little legend. She certainly does and she made international headlines. I love that story. I was mad about that story when I heard it so I was determined to get Hervé onto the show. Uh, But still to come on The Late Lunch we're looking at holistic parenting and we'll be talking to some bedroom recording mead rockers from the band Noah who are preparing to release their first single. But before that, our next guest is heading up a big excavation in Bobek and uh, they've uncovered the first stone barn in the country. Now, Geraldine Stout is on the line. Geraldine, how are you? I'm great. I'm great, Alison. It's lovely to be on LMFN. Oh, brilliant to have you. I mean, you're uh, you're an archaeologist doing some fantastic work out there. I mean, I live in Dublin. I'm from Drogheda, but I'm constantly yeah. hearing about all of these stories. And I I love hearing about all the excavations all across Louth and Mead. It's wonderful because we only have a month in the year. We only have, we do, we excavate for the month for the month of July. You know, so we always have great expectations of what we can find. Yeah. In that month, and as this is last season, you know we want to, you know, get enough information together to be able to tell a really good, coherent story about this medieval monastic farm. I mean, it's a never-ending story, though, isn't it? All that yes, whole area. Yes, it is. For the last, you know, this is this was a medieval farm that was established by a small community of monks from Bobek in Normandy, 
They'd been given, they were given the land by the de Lacy family and they sent a community here to establish what we call a grange. A grange is a farm worked by monks. And so in the first two seasons, we found uh, this moated enclosure where they would have organised the water supply into the settlement. And then this, this residential block, their kind of two-storey building where they would have had their refectory and dormitory and little oratory. So, but this season, we concentrated on on what would be their farmyard, okay? So we knew there were some stone walls there last year, but as we peeled, you know, the the soil back, we identified, you know, we've uncovered the walls of a very large stone building, and this is a barn. And, you know, there's very few Cistercian, medieval Cistercian barns actually identified in Ireland. They're very prominent, you know, in Britain, but we're just not getting them in Ireland. Mm. I, I think I only know of three examples and this is the first stone barn that's been excavated. And so, so we're what, very excited. What, yeah, I was going to say, Geraldine, what is that like when you're peeling it away? Because it's extraordinarily yeah, well, tedious. Look, I mean, I, I, deal, I do a lot of uh, historical research before mm. I face into um, an excavation. So, so do you get a fair idea that this is, this is possibly coming up? There, yeah, well, this, they, like from the, we reconstruct models of these farms based on historical accounts. But it's, it's very nice to go to the site and actually identify the buildings that are des- described in historical documents. Oh, I can so only imagine. Here. I'd say it's brilliant. Yeah. And so this case here, we knew that they had lands and they were growing. We knew from our evidence they were growing wheat and barley and oats and that they were actually processing that. And we knew from historical references that they, they had sheep in the fields around the Grange and, the, and cattle. But... But to actually, when we uncover the layers of their waste, we find the, the animal remains and we find the, the environmental remains, which is wonderful. Like we've all these lovely uh, seeds of wheat, there are medieval seeds of wheat and medieval peas and beans. Wow. But the barn, the barn is very, like it's a, one really very large, long building. It's going to about 25 metres in length. And in that barn, wow. we found, we've identified a kiln that would dry the cereals. And then we also have this kind of flagstone floor in the centre of the barn that we think was, was used for threshing the sheaves of corn that were brought in, in, in the barn in medieval times. Because they would have cut, cut the corn kind of in, in, in length and then bundled it up and brought it actually into the barn. And then they would start um, we, uh, beating the sheaves to get the, to, to break, to get the ears of corn out with a flail. So usually you get this kind of a rough surface. So we actually have found that in the centre of the barn. And you, so as you, you have a real good, strong sense. Yeah, it actually is reflecting what we know from like historical descriptions of what these barns were used for. Yeah, yeah. And, and Geraldine, you, you're in there in the heart of it. So you've got a real strong sense of how these monks lived. I mean, they, they were so yes. self-sufficient, weren't they? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the Cistercians were the great farmers of Europe. You get Cistercian abbeys all over Europe, and they were always considered to be the great farmers and the great gardeners. And like last year, when we were excavating their uh, their latrines, we found um, we found strawberries and ra- raspberry seeds, and and you know, so they ha- we know and um, and uh, cherries. So we know they would have had gardens and fruit gardens, you know, from that evidence. Wow. But this year, our emphasis is on really what they were growing in the fields around the farm. So this year we're getting all the evidence for cereals and all the evidence, the peas and the beans that they would have grown. 
So, you know, so we get a, you know, all those little threads of evidence, we can put it together and we can kind of reconstruct a, a picture. So, so the next phase then is, is to be able to, um, you know, bring all that evidence together and produce a, a report. And also some re- we have somebody, on, we have a, an engineer from Notre Dame on the site and she's doing these beautiful reconstruction, reconstruction uh, drawings of what the, the building would have looked like. Wow, God, that you know, must and then be we have brilliant. an art. We have another. We have an artist in residence on the site, and you know, he's looking at the the the, the whole process of excavation from a completely different mm. perspective. So it's all very exciting. And and Geraldine, with with the the things that you uncover, I mean, where do they go? Where are they placed? Where yeah. are they mined? Well, well, they will end up eventually in the National Museum. Okay. We have. We have boxes of metalwork, like nails and rivets and staples. They will be lo- they will eventually be looked like looked at by different specialists. We have a pottery specialist and a metalwork specialist and a bone specialist. You know, it's, you know, there's quite a lot of detailed work that goes on after you leave a site. And once that that work is done, then um, the catalogue and all the numbers finds will go into the National Museum. And I mean, this must be just an incredible job that you have. Uh, you must love going to work yeah. every day, particularly oh, when you're at the site. I know, I know. I'm very lucky. And I'm very lucky to work with such wonderful people, mm. you know. Yeah, because it's it's so specialised and you need, like, there's all, you know, there's a whole team there and it's very slow paced and very gentle. I might have lost Geraldine there. I mean, I absolutely think this stuff across Louth and Mead, it is never ending. I mean, all of the amazing things that have been uncovered all around that site. And it really is so heartwarming to know that, you know, uh, this stuff can be uncovered. We've got these incredible teams, so passionate, finding things all the time. I absolutely love reading all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we should be really proud like that we're from this area because it's the most historical sites and, and places all across the country. So um, I've absolutely just a brilliant, brilliant work that they do. So look, uh, we, we'll try and get Geraldine back. But look, we're going to take a song, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Welcome back to The Late Lunch here on LMFM. Give us a shout. You can text us on 86 658 or you can send us an email at info at lmfm.ie. Now, our next guest is a mentor who can support parents through positive programmes and workshops. Sinead C. Cavan is from the Holistic Parent website. How are you, Sinead? Hi, good afternoon. How are you? Thanks for meeting for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome along. What is a holistic parent? Well, I suppose take the two words apart. One is a parent. That's very <laughs> self-explanatory. And holistic means that you're looking at the whole picture. So whatever in whatever platform that, that appears, in whatever way it needs to be, whatever guise, um, holism is about looking at the whole picture. As beings, as human beings, there's more to us than meets the eye. You know, there's more than the cover of the book. And when we're looking at, um, I suppose, reaching out for help and support from mm. other people and other services, um, that person who's providing that support and service needs to be able to see the bigger picture. And that's what I do. Yeah, because it's it, it, particularly now, it's a very stressful time, isn't it? I know when the first lockdown happened and, you know, WhatsApp groups and, you know, all of these tips to be at home baking and cooking. And there were a lot of working parents at home as well. It was a very trying time for a lot of people. And uh, you also felt under 
the pressure that other parents just completely outshone you with their remarkable talents of creative baking and cooking and everything else. Um, and trying to find that balance in between where you're trying to manage everything, trying to be calm, trying to be a good parent. How do you uh, how do you deal with people like that who are struggling? Well, I suppose the first thing you said, you said a number of things there that each of them individually could be talking points. Mm. For me, the big thing is that I am a very realistic person. So whenever I meet anyone and they, they want to know how it is that I work, I have four adjectives that I use. I will always be compassionate, empathic and empathic towards your situation mm-hmm. and how we approach the situation. But I will also always be very pragmatic and very practical. So I call things out as I see them. Mm-hmm. I do it in a very compassionate and empathic way, as I said, but I will call them out. And for an awful lot of the time, you know, we're, we're unfortunately social media is as, has as many cons as it has pros. And not every, they're not always visible and we don't always, we're not always aware of them until they start causing problems. Um, so the first thing you mentioned about, you know, worrying about other parents outshining you and worrying about keeping up with what's mm. going on. And it's just the technological era's version of keeping up with the Joneses. The well, well, I know I certainly is. can't. I just hate those WhatsApp groups. So I have them muted uh, all the time. <laughs> yeah, look, the reality of life is, is that you stay in your own lane. Mm. There is nobody wearing your shoes. Nobody. And as anyone would tell you from, you know, it's a years old thing. My grandparents, my parents would have said it. If we all walked into a room and threw all of our problems on the table, you'd walk out with your own. Yes. There's nobody, you know, what we see and then the pictures and everything else, it's it's all make-believe to a certain degree. It's the best version we can pull out of ourselves at a time. And, you know, if you're concentrating so hard on finding those perfect pictures and mm-hmm. images and scenarios to put up on social media for the public well there's something missing everywhere else because if that's where your focus is what else is going on in life oh well I always say you know if your life is that great what's it doing on social media well you know are you not busy are you not have you not other things better things to be doing <laughs> but I think for a lot of it is that we all need to feel you know it comes back to like I'm really really pragmatic and practical in my approach and I just want to put in the caveat that I am not a therapist I'm not a counsellor. Yes, I have a background in psychology, but I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counsellor. Um, I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm a mentor, which means I've lived and walked the walk. Mm-hmm. And I'm an educator. I am absolutely, you know, hugely avid about lifelong learning. I am a lifelong learner myself. I encourage it and advocate it in everyone, from the youngest to the oldest student I've ever worked with. Um, when it comes down to living your life, you have two things that are necessary in order for you to be able to stay in your own lane. The first is self-awareness. That's knowing who you are, knowing what makes you tick, knowing what brings you joy, knowing what triggers are in life, knowing the things that, you know, can set you off or can push you to one side and and knock you off kilter. The self-awareness thing and the ability to know, it's it's called self-efficacy, it's the ability to know within you that you have what it takes to be able to live your life the way you want to live it, on your terms. I have four foundations. They're pillars, they're foundations, that they're cornerstones. I've set the business up on that, but that's because they're my cornerstones for my living and my life. Self-efficacy is one of those. Autonomy, so that's the self-belief that I have, that I can do whatever it is I want to set my mind to doing it. I have the tools or the wherewithal to find the tools or learn the tools or gain the tools to be able to do what it is I want to do. 
I have the autonomy that I will take responsibility for whatever the outcomes of those choices are. I have the self or the sorry, the resilience to be able to pick myself up and dust myself off when things go south. And I also have what's called an internalized locus of control. So it sounds very big and flash and, and flamboyant, but the locus yeah. of control is locus is location of control, where is the control? So is my local is my is my location of the control in my life within or is it external? For me, I need to sort out my own stuff. I was nearly going to say another word to begin with, but I didn't. No, don't. I, no, I was like, some places you can do that, some places you can't. I've been very good. So you need to, everyone knows what I meant. Um, my mother would have put the letter one in the middle of that word. Um, so everyone needs to sort out their own. Mm. You know, if you're, if you're sitting around waiting for the world to fix it, if you're sitting around waiting for someone else to come along and say, ah, I know how to look after that for you, you'll be a long time waiting. And oh, as yeah. grown-ups, it's very much our own responsibility, that comes back to autonomy, to be able to sort out the stuff as it arrives. Yeah, you know, you, you deal with it. You have it's all to about it's all about your limits, your own resources, and knowing who you are, know what you're That's capable the of. Self awareness. And, there and, you go. Yeah, and there saying, it is. I'm tired, not able for this now. Maybe somebody else has loads of energy, but you personally, I'm not going yeah. to do this because I can't. I need exactly. to be in bed at ten o'clock. Yeah, that's it in its entirety. And sometimes what happens is. In being able to reach the point of self-awareness, you have to be introspective. You have to look at yourself, your life. You have to go back a little bit to go forward. You know, this that lovely um, analogy that an arrow is only um, only has strength in, in, in the pullback. So mm. it's only when you go back that you can actually have the strength to move forward. Yeah. And, and a lot of people go, oh, I don't look back at all. I never look back. And the reality is that's where you came from. Every step you've taken in your life has brought you to here. So all of those steps have had an impact. Some of them a better impact than others. Some of them maybe not so much. Well, I'm a firm believer in looking back because if you want to fix something going forward, you have to look back and deal with it. So I I do that. I definitely do that. Totally. And you know that you mentioned about the stress and everything else of the pandemic and the lockdowns and everything Mm. else. And I dealt with it time and time again with clients where they were, you know, under stress and under pressure. And as I said to them, if you have any demons in your life that you have not dealt with, yeah. and I'm talking about as far back as you can see, or as far back as how old you are, yeah. if there's demons, if there's something there that's unresolved, if there's something there that caused a hurt or a trauma or a difficulty or a challenge, if you have not dealt with that, that was nipping at your heels the whole way through those lockdowns. Because all of a sudden you had to be with yourself. You have to be with people that you supposedly love because they're your family and they're in the same house. And But that thing of working from home and spending a lot of time with each other, it really meant that people had to accept. And for a lot of people, acceptance is not easy. They had to accept who they were, who the other people are, and figure out a way that it all works together. But acceptance is brilliant because it brings yeah. a wave of peace. And yeah. you can only deal with yourself. You can't keep in your lane. For anyone else. Yeah. Stay in your own lane. That's yeah. it exactly. There'll always be somebody else coming along. They're quicker, they're faster. Think about it as literally as if you're driving the car on the motorway. There'll always be somebody coming up behind you. They're in a much bigger hurry than you and they've got a much more big, important car than you. And you know what? Let them do whatever they need to do on the road. You stay in your lane. You do the speed <laughs> you need to do. Yeah. You travel the way you need because you know where you're going. Because you've taken the time to figure it out. Here's a, a texter who says, what can you do when you can't say no? 
Okay, that's about your boundaries. That's very much about boundaries. And this is an important one because that our boundaries and our ability to to develop boundaries and instigate boundaries comes from when we're children. And that's why I do the work that I do. My niche is kind of looking at expectant parents and parents of newborns and that transition and how that's going to look and how that's going to work for you. Because there's very practical um, methodologies that you have to implement in your blueprint for your child's future. And you have to learn. You have to learn to say no. You have to well, learn. Well, the thing is, is that as an adult, if you can't say no now, you do have to learn it. Well, this is the thing. As a child, you can teach it. Yeah. So there's a difference there. And, and because children learn what they live. So whatever environment they're living in, however that environment is, that's what they're learning. And they will then go up to the adults who live what they've learned. So if you're an adult who has a... Now, I know the person is looking for the magic answer, but I have to give you the back to it first. You know, we we have to delve into it first. So if you're an adult who can't say no, it's because somewhere in your life, boundaries weren't very important. So you didn't learn how to instigate those boundaries. You didn't learn how to put them around you to keep yourself safe. So it's 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 really important to learn this. Now, Sinead, we're going to run out of time here. But I know, I'm sorry. No, not at all. How do people who are listening get in touch with you if they need more information? So I'm Sinead Tickavan of The Holistic Parent. I'm based in Navan and County Mead. The website is very simply www.thehilisticparent.ie Thehilisticparent.ie H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C parent.ie I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, I'm under the Holistic Parent and Sinead Cicabna on LinkedIn. For anyone that wants to get in touch, I work predominantly with parents. People say, why don't you work with the kids? I say, well, I can work with the kids, but if the parents don't know, nobody mm-hmm. else is learning, just the kids. Okay. I work with the parents, everyone learns. Brilliant stuff, Sinead. Thank you so much. Valuable advice there. Thanks for joining us on The Late Lunch here on LMFM. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'll talk to you again soon. Have Not a great weekend, everyone. You too. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cap. Welcome back to The Late Lunch here on LMFM. Keep the text coming in 086-1800-658. I think we'll uh, round off the show with a group of rockers, a band from Navin. Is it Navin? Um, <laughs> and they're the band Noah. Um, tell me now, Adam, I'll start with you. So you've yeah. you recorded a song during COVID in the middle of the pandemic. This is your first song. Um, well, it is our second song. Well, it's oh. our pretty much our second release. Okay, um, okay, okay. Yeah, so we brought our first one back out in September. Okay. Um, and yeah, so that was called Shine. Um, that did really well. It really it got us a bit of a platform to be able to do what we're doing now, to be honest. Um, so it's called Shine. We brought it out in September 25th. And from there, we... We got signed to um, a major booking agency in the UK who represent us globally and they book all our gigs. We were on the BBC and Laura Whitmore's show. And uh, yeah, like, and, and it afforded us the opportunities to work with our now producer, Rory Cushman, um, who produced um, Hands Up. And tell me this, um, what was it like trying to get through the pandemic? I mean, a really difficult time for musicians, artists, creative people all around. Yeah, um, I think... You know, we're very fortunate to be in the position we are and that we're all able to, you know, pack in our normal day jobs and give music our full effort. Um, So I know there's a lot of other people in the industry who are are struggling. So um, compared to them, we have it fairly easy. Um, You know, in some respect, it it allowed us to be a bit more creative. Um, You know, 
took a lot of pressure off from live gig scenario uh, for mm. now and it just let us keep writing as many so I think we have probably like 60, 70 songs that we wrote over the past year and a half um, oh, Okay so you had like a burst of energy yeah, yeah. Well, sure. Look, there was nothing else to be doing. So, um, well, no, there was plenty to be doing. You could have been sweeping your mother's driveway, or you could have been cleaning that out. That was the being gr- done too. That was all being done too. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. And so you've you've just done a whole big bank of songs. Yeah, I know we did. So we had like we had loads and loads of demos. Um, so uh, luckily, we have a lot of equipment um, in our houses. Mm. Um, I went to college and studied sound production, so it was fairly it was fairly handy enough to do everything at home. Um, now, obviously, that can only take you to a certain point, mm. and um, obviously, that's why we have like you know build our team up. So we're working with the likes of Rory, who's won a Grammy, and mm-hmm. um, so you can't. I mean, you can't sort of you learn that experience in the year and a half. So um, right now, we're really we're really. Um, we're, we're happy that we'll get to work with such amazing people mm. since things are opening up a bit more. Yeah. Ronan, I'll bring you in there. Um, how did you find trying to work with the rest of the band when, during the lockdown? I mean, uh, trying to organise music. I know we can do a million and one things now with technology, but trying to be a band together when you're physically not together. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was quite difficult, not going to lie. Like, both, like, it, it kind of, it takes, takes its toll, kind of, creatively but also mentally with us as friends as well that you know if we're kind of we're like everybody else we're locked down and you know we can't we can't do anything you kind of get a bit of cabin fever inside so sometimes that can take its toll on the creative process but thankfully it, it wasn't too bad but I think with technology nowadays you know it started off with with Sean our debut single, you know, that was all kind of pieced together through kind of sending emails over, sending ideas. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, as Adam said, he did uh, he did um, music technology. So, you know, for us, myself and Ryan, you know, we would then send our ideas, record our ideas, send it on to Adam. Adam would then piece it all together. And, you know, we would try get things down that way. Now, thankfully, as time passed and, and things opened up, it became a lot easier that, you know, we could then create a bubble within ourselves and, you know, um, we could meet up and essentially just work away with all the material that we have been working on. And thankfully it's gotten us to to this new release, Hands Up, which is essentially about, you know, Adam was explaining that, mm. you know, we, we left our jobs you know, we're going full on into the music, giving our all into it. So essentially it was, the song is essentially about surrendering up to something higher and something more important. Um, what you love to do as opposed to kind of the mundanity of life where, you know, you're in an office job that you don't like and stuff like that. At least, you know, with hands up, you're surrendering. For us anyway, it was surrendering to music. So we're giving everything to that and essentially that song basically betrays that it has the energy um you know the the electricity that that was needed um when we initially wrote it so yeah nice. like it, it started off very difficult to, yeah. to answer your question in a short way <laughs> yeah yeah it started off very difficult but you know, as time went on, it, it got a lot easier and, and we worked around it. F- wonderful. So you're in the solstice tomorrow? 
Yeah, yeah, and we we can't wait for that because I mean, you know, it's it's great with the coverage that we've been getting for a band that uh, that started during the the lockdown, and you know, the newspapers, the radio interviews, like today, and it, it, it's been amazing. Brilliant. But real realistically, all we want to do is just play and play live to to actual people. So yeah, we're we're really looking forward to actually seeing people tomorrow. Fantastic stuff. Well, Adam Rooney and Ronan Hines from the band Noah with your new single, Hands Up. I'm looking forward to hearing all about your gig tomorrow. Thanks a million for joining us on The Late Lunch. Thank you so much. for having us. No bother at all. Lovely lads there and the very best of luck to them as well. Extremely talented to be working and also to have the gift of, you know, working with such extraordinary people. Well, that brings us to the end of my first week here. And uh, I just want to thank all the callers, texters and, of course, to the fantastic Louise Walsh, producer of the show. Jerry will be back on Monday and Eddie Caffrey is on the way. We leave you with the lads now. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada, Dundalk and Cavan. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the Northeast with same-day business finance, so let our van specialist Danny find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. See blackstonemotors.ie If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 